to Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're sharing the best books we read over the winter season. Listeners, we absolutely love reading your reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we got a really sweet one from Dee that, to be honest, made both of us cry a little bit. Yes, it did. <laughs> we won't cry on the podcast, but I will I will read it for you so that you can all enjoy this sweet review. Didi says, where do I begin? This podcast has helped me remember why I love to read, which is surprising since I am an English teacher. Somewhere in the midst of reading for graduate school or prepping for teaching, I forgot what it was like to read for the sheer joy of reading. Anytime I reached for a book, I felt like it needed to fill in a gap as if it should cover something I missed along the way or should help me be a better teacher. And then I found this lovely podcast and it made me remember why I wanted to teach English in the first place. There are so many things I could write, but I am most grateful to this podcast for helping me renew one of the great loves in my life, the love of books. You ladies are the best. Thank you so much for that sweet review. We, I think, felt this one so much because we've both been in this place and it makes us so happy to help other readers refind that that love of books. Yeah, we've definitely, definitely been there. And I'm really excited to talk about some of our favorite books from winter today, Sarah. These reflection episodes help me remember why I love to read and help me highlight some of the books that I'll want to remember for the rest of the year. And so I am really eager to talk about these. Yeah. Chelsea, before we get into our favorite books that we read over the last few months, I'm wondering if you have a favorite episode from our winter season. I think, I mean, I think because it's super recent, I'm thinking of our discussion on There is Confusion. That might be my favorite of the books that we read. I don't know if it was my favorite episode. Oh, I don't know. We did 84 Cheering Cross Road this season too, though. We did. This was a good winter. It was a good winter. And I, this is also recency bias, but I think one of my favorite episodes is The Bloody Chamber. We got pretty nerdy and academic in that one. And it was just really, really fun to discuss. I also liked some of our... TBR Toppler episodes. Our Love Letters to Books episode was so fun. And seeing so many listeners share that one was really special. Yeah. This, I mean, this is so funny because sometimes we do have very clear favorites, but I think that this speaks to something that I've maybe noticed in the last season where it feels like we're really finding our groove with podcasting and finding more of our niche. And I think that the fact that we can cite So many favorite episodes from the last season really shows that, which is exciting as we embark on all of these new creative projects for the podcast in the upcoming spring season. So it's fun to reflect on and to think about. It is. And we do have a great spring season planned for you. We will share. We've shared those books in our newsletter and on our Instagram, but we'll share them here at the end of the podcast as well. 
But before that, let's talk about some of our favorite books of the winter season. And you know, I always have mixed feelings about this. I love sharing books I love. I hate calling things favorites or best. So, you know, the usual disclaimers and just let's get into it. (laughs) (laughs) This was a lot easier for me to decide than our past seasons, just because I have not read very much this winter. For me, like my typical reading volume went way down, which is understandable. My husband returned from a 10-month deployment at the beginning of December, and so December and January were very, very light reading months, as they should be. And so it made it a lot easier for me to decide which books I loved to share on the (laughs) podcast today. Yeah, I have read quite a bit this winter. I didn't include very many December books, though, because my favorites of December, some of them made it into my favorite books of the year. So I'm mostly talking about January and February books here. Um, So Chelsea, tell us about one of your favorites from this season. I am going to start with a book that is very wintry. I think you could read this any time of year, but I read it on a particularly snowy weekend and the atmosphere just perfectly fit my mood. It's a suspense romance, which I don't normally read, and that was fun. It's titled White Out by Adriana Anders, and it's set in the Arctic, and it's about this team of researchers And the hero is a researcher, and he's also ex-military, and the heroine is the cook at the camp. And some bad guys show up, some really bad stuff happens, it's really intense, it's page-turning, there's a cliffhanger and like a dun-dun-dun moment at the end of every single chapter. It's also pretty sexy which I did not think that an author could achieve when these people literally cannot take their snowsuits off or they will die of frostbite, but (laughs) it worked. And it's just really fun when you need a fast-paced, brain candy kind of read. I really enjoyed it. She is coming out with more in the series. The book doesn't necessarily end on a cliffhanger, but it is a little bit more open-ended than standalone romances tend to be. And so I'm really excited to pick up the next book. So White Out by Adriana Anders. Surprising, delightful. I really liked it. It kind of reminded me of like a Clive Cussler novel. I used to read those in middle school or like a Dan Brown book, Uh but romance. So it was super fun. And I highly recommend it when you just need something completely different to spice up your reading life. Have you heard of the show The Head? No, we, okay. It's not very good, but (laughs) (laughs) if you are in the mood for that kind of setting, it is set at a research station in Antarctica and there's, it's like a locked room mystery. There are, I think like nine researchers stationed there. And then when the next crew comes back, they only find one person alive, a couple missing. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's not great, but it is kind of a fun watch and very much the same sort of like if you are, you know, snowbound for a weekend, it would be a fun, fun watch. 
All right, Sarah, what do you have on your not favorites, not best of, just really great (laughs) books list? Thank you. Thank you for stating it that way. (laughs) Um, My first one that I want to talk about is My Autobiography of Carson McCullers by Jen Shapland. I have talked about this on the podcast before. I actually paired it with 84 Charing Cross Road um, because it is kind of a book about books. But when I paired it, I had really just started reading it. And now I can officially call it a favorite. It was in my my top books of 2020 as well. Um, this is Jen Chaplin's memoir, combination memoir and biography of the writer Carson McCullers. And I think that this one would be of real interest to Novel Pairings listeners because Carson McCullers is a classic American Southern writer whose books like um, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter have been long well-regarded. And her life is fascinating. And one of the things that Jen Chaplin really investigates in this book is Carson McCullers' sexuality and why we are hesitant to sometimes label or um, maybe investigate authors' sexualities who aren't around today. So we talked about this a little bit even in our My Antonia episode about like we don't know what Willa Cather's sexual identity was. And, and Jen Chaplin kind of takes a really different approach to that than I had ever heard done before. Um, Just where she talks about the importance of understanding McCullough's life for her own, Jen Chaplin's own understanding of her sexual identity. It's really great. And it made me really want to read some Carson McCullough's. We might have to add her to our lineup soon because I've never read her work. And this one made me really want to. This book is also quite short. It's told in vignettes. So it's easy to kind of breeze through, or if your attention span is shorter these days, it's also great on audio. So that is my autobiography of Carson McCullers. My one other romance recommendation is a book that you will hear in an upcoming episode. This is something that I paired with a beloved novel, and I just wanted to highlight it again here because It is one of my favorites that I read this winter, and also it's a book that's going to get a lot of buzz, so I want to reassure you that, yes, it is worth the hype. It is Act Your Age, Eve Brown by Talia Hibbert. I am a Talia Hibbert fangirl. I feel like I've mentioned her quite a few times on the podcast because I love her book so much, and I think she's an incredibly talented writer, and I think that her books do a great job of disproving the myth that romance doesn't have substance. Her books and many contemporary writers like Talia Hibbert, they do include a lot of substance in their romance novels. And anytime that you're writing about complicated relationships, you're going to have some good substance. But in the case of Eve Brown, we have an autistic hero. We have a heroine who is struggling with some family issues and her next career steps. We have them navigating some really true-to-life miscommunication issues, and there are some really delightful side friendships and sibling relationships in this book as well. And part of what I love about Talia Hibbert is her books make me laugh out loud. She is hilarious. Like, truly, I 
I can't think of very many other writers that inject perfect sarcasm and wit on the page like she does. Um, I, yeah, I just think she is one of the funniest authors right now. So Act Your Age Eve Brown by Talia Hibbert was definitely one of my favorites and you'll hear about it again soon. Do you, I, I know you had an e-galley of that one, so I'm, I'm sure you read it on the page, but do you usually do her books on audio or in print? I actually did end up listening to this one. Oh, you so did? I had it on NetGalley, but then Libro had it available as an ALC for me. And so I downloaded the audiobook version because I do really love her books on audio. I mean, anytime that you're reading a funny book, we've talked about audio is the way to go. But also, there's nothing like a great British accent for your yeah. audiobooks. Um, so I, and I have read, I think that Danny Brown, I read partly on the page and partly on audio and the humor translates either way, I think, but I do really like her audiobooks. Oh, that's awesome. I, um, yeah, I listened to Chloe Brown on audio and really liked it that way as well. All right. My next book is On Such a Full Sea by Chang Rae Lee. It was the January pick for my Fiction Matters book club, um, which I host on Patreon. And we wanted to read something by an author who had an anticipated new book coming out soon. And Lee had just come out with, or at the beginning of February, My Year Abroad came out. And so we picked up this backlist book and I loved this book. I also just think it is a fantastic book to discuss. It's extremely literary. Like it's one of those books that makes you feel like you're back in school. You're trying to pick up on symbolism. You're trying to read between the lines and piece an allegory together. I don't like all of my books to be like that, but I really do love it when, you know, every once in a while I pick up a book that really makes me close read and slow down. And this was that. So On Such a Full Sea is a dystopian novel. It's set in what was once Baltimore, but is now called Be More. And it takes place in like a near future U.S. where there are very distinct class divisions. And that those are also location-based. And so if you live in the counties, you are kind of poorer and living in an almost anarchist type state. Other areas of the country are much wealthier and um, kind of these dense urban cities. It's just, it's really like you can see the workings of our current system in this piece of dystopian or speculative fiction. And I really, really like books like that, that you can say, oh yeah, if nothing changes, we could end up there. Um, but it has a great protagonist. It's told in the collective we voice, so it feels very much like a legend. I actually finished this and thought, wow, this would be a fantastic pairing for the Odyssey. It's very Odyssey-like. Fan goes on different episodic adventures. I just thought this book was stunningly beautiful. I read it on the page, but B.D. Wong narrates the audiobook and several book club members said that that was fantastic and helped them get into the narration. So yeah, I highly recommend this for fans of 
literary fiction for fans of dystopias or speculative fiction. And I will say, if you do pick it up, do it as a buddy read so you have someone to chat with because there are a lot of things you'll want to talk about. So that is On Such a Full Sea by Chang Ray Lee. Sarah, I finally read The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia, which I think was one of your absolute favorite books of 2020. I loved it so much. It's so good. And I picked it up after listening to Disha on the Stacks podcast. Tracy has an amazing interview with her. And then pretty shortly after, my copy came in at the library uh, or in my Libby app because I listened to it on audio. And it was excellent on audio. It's absolutely a book that I would like to pick up on paper and reread in a different format because I just think that she is such a phenomenal writer and I would love to see how these stories are constructed. I think that it worked really well on audio for me though because the stories really flow together quite seamlessly. It's not necessarily interconnected like a novel, but they feel connected and they just, like I said, flowed together perfectly well on audio. This book is literally, I mean, the title says it all. It is about the secret lives of church ladies. It's about sort of the behind closed doors themes and things that church ladies don't necessarily talk about. And I definitely am trying to think of my favorite. I absolutely loved the short story, How to Make Love to a Physicist. I think that was close to the end, so it's probably partly the recency bias there. But gosh, this collection is just absolutely incredible. I don't think we've paired it on the show yet, have we? We haven't. It would make a great pairing for Their Eyes Were Watching God, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure we will want to pair it with something in the future because it really feels like a classic in in many ways and like it's in conversation with so many great works of literature I also, I am not the first person to say this. A lot of people have commented on this, but it's just so true that Disha Filia's first sentences are amazing. Like Mm -hmm. every single short story starts with a a first sentence that sucks you right in. And I think that that I mean, I, I just love that she's such a talented writer, but it's also a great skill to have as a short story writer Because it really keeps you reading in a way that some short story collections can't. Yeah, her economy of language is incredible. I absolutely loved it. So if you haven't read The Secret Lives of Church Ladies yet, we both highly recommend it. And surely it will be an official pairing at some point. I'm thinking Baldwin would also be so perfect. But yeah, it's great. Highly recommend. I loved the audio, but I think picking it up on paper would be a really satisfying experience too. All right. A really fun book that I read and absolutely adored this winter was Anna Kay by Jenny Lee. I listened to this on audio with the Libby app. This is Jenny Lee's retelling of Anna Karenina. And we both love a retelling of a classic. And We've talked about how sometimes high school settings make the best retellings for classics because, like we talked about this with Emma and Clueless, those social conventions that classics are built on don't quite exist in our day-to-day lives anymore. 
but they did in high school. Those unwritten rules about who could speak to whom first, um, of different, you know, social hierarchies. All of that is so very present in American high schools. And so they make great settings for these classics. And this one was one of the best that I have read. So if you're not familiar with Anna Karenina, <laughs> the book Anna Kay is about 16, I think 16 or 17-year-old Anna. She has a very steady boyfriend. He's very doting, but very boring. And she finds herself caught up in a romantic entanglement with Count Vronsky, who is called Count Vronsky as well in Anna Kay, which I love. And it's about the kind of inter the entanglement of their lives, their social circles. There are some other couples to root for and to root against. It's a it's about that intense relationship and it works so well in the setting. I love uh, Jenny Lee's diverse cast of characters in this. It's all though uber wealthy characters. So you have that kind of rich kids behaving badly or you know, things that most 16-year-olds cannot do, these kids have access to, and that can be kind of fun and escapist. I just thought this was really smart. And if you want to get some of the Anna Karenina references, but you haven't read Anna Karenina, my recommendation is just to watch the Kira Knightley movie and then read this book because you'll pick up on everything that way without having to devote 40 hours to reading the book. Or you can read it and enjoy it without picking up on all of that. I've heard from a lot of readers who've loved it without, you know, caring at all about Anna Karenina. So that is Anna Kay by Jenny Lee. We've talked about the Toni Morrison book club multiple times on the podcast, and I finally listened to it on audio, and I really liked it, but it was different from what I was expecting. So this is a group memoir written by four friends who basically came together around their love of Toni Morrison. And I was expecting the book to be more about how her works influenced their friendship and what they learned from reading her works affected their relationships as a unit, but it was much more compartmentalized than that. So Mm. each chapter was by one of the friends and they would open with sort of a personal anecdote and then connect it to a work by Toni Morrison. That was still great. It's very, very literary criticism heavy. So if you like those types of books, I think that you would enjoy this. And I think that it helps to at least have read Beloved. I don't think you need to read every book that they talk about in order to get a lot out of it, but they do pretty much all reference Beloved. And I was glad to have read that book prior to listening to the Toni Morrison book club. So If you are in the mood for more of a literary criticism listen and you love Toni Morrison's work, I would highly recommend it. If you're in more of the mood for a memoir, maybe pass on this one. Hmm. That's good to know. I still haven't listened to that and I will still based on what you said, but I, I like to know that going in. All right. My next one, this has been all over and I hope readers that you are picking this one up. But if not, this is another push to pick up 400 Souls, A Community History of African America, 1619 to 2019, and it's edited by Ibram X. Kendi and Keisha N. Blaine. This is, I mean, the subtitle explains exactly what this is perfectly clearly. 
This is a community memoir in that Kendi and Blaine asked 80 Black American writers to participate in this collection and tell this 400-year history of African America from 1619, when the first ships in carry, carrying enslaved Africans arrived in the U.S. to 2019. And each of those 80 authors gets a five-year span that they are kind of in charge or tasked with telling the history of. I mean, th- these authors come from all different backgrounds. They write in all different styles. And so each section is totally different, but you're still getting this wonderful history, expansive history of a 400-year period. There are also interludes every 20 years, I think, with a poem from a, a Black poet. And that is really cool. That kind of summarizes the, the decades that they're writing about. It's just a, a lovely way to kind of piece together this history and learn about this history. It is, I think, because it's so expansive, it's just scratching the surface. But I loved that I, I found different time periods that I didn't know much about that now I want to read more about. And I found many authors who I would like to read more from. So it is a great introduction in that way, both to finding writers you want more from and history that you need to learn more about. I just, I think it's a great, great work. I listened on audio. I will definitely be picking up a hard copy for myself as well to keep on my shelves. So that is 400 Souls by Ibram X. Kendi and Keisha Blaine. Oh, that's good to know. I have a copy from Libro FM, and I think that I will cue it up next. Speaking of Libro FM, we cannot let a quarterly favorites episode pass without mentioning that they are our main sponsor, and we love them because they help us support independent bookstores. They're truly champions for independent bookstores, and we just really love what they do, and we love our Libro FM subscriptions. You can use the code NOVELPAIRINGS when you check out to get your own subscription and get two audiobooks for the price of one, or you can use the link in our show notes to go ahead and get your audiobooks. Yes, we love them. Many of our favorite books have we experienced through the Libro FM app. And that is not going to change any time soon. So we hope you'll join us in supporting your favorite bookstores with Libro. All right, Chelsea, what is your final, final favorite of the winter season? My second to last pick is Wintering by Catherine May. I loved this book. I listened to it on audio And that was a beautiful experience because I listened to her section about snow while walking in the snow. Like it was actually snowing big, chunky snowflakes as I was walking and trudging through the snow. And it was magical. That that's truly perfect. (laughs) It really was like I could not have crafted a better reading experience. I really liked the audiobook narrator for wintering and This book is about leaning into winter as a season, not only at the winter time of the year, but when you are going through a dark period in your life, whether it is due to grief or loss or illness or depression. 
And Catherine Mayerly makes an argument for leaning into those times by resting and taking good care of yourself and slowing down rather than trying to just breeze by them. And this was the perfect time of the year to listen to it. But I think that it is a great year-round read. It's part inspirational, a little bit self-help, but I really hesitate to put it in that category because Catherine May is such a beautiful writer and it's almost more like personal essays with a little like friendly advice or a suggestion element. She's really sharing her experience and she's making an argument for leaning into winter, but it's it's not self-help in like a here's what you have to do and here are your steps. It's just, it's a beautiful book and I need to get a copy so that I can read it on paper. Yeah. it. I loved this book so much. I did read it on paper. I might revisit it on audio, so I might go the other direction. The U.S. cover is stunning, but the British cover is maybe especially stunning. So I'd look into ordering it from Blackwell's if you decide to <laughs> go with the paper copy route. All right. I have another collection um, essay collection before I finish us off with my final favorite novel of the winter. But I got, um, I, I was surprised at how quick my Libby hold came in for this one, but I got the chance to listen to Disability Visibility, First Person Stories from the 20th Century. And this is a series of essays that editor is Alice Wong. And each essay is written by a person with a disability. And they all vary very much similar to 400 Souls. They vary in style. Some are um, came straight from these individuals' blogs. Others were more polished essays. Some were actually testimonials of uh, people with disabilities who presented to Congress um, for the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. I just, I, you know, this I feel like is a weak spot in my own reading, both in terms of fiction and nonfiction. Stories of of people with disabilities and chronic illnesses, and so I really appreciated a collection that included a wide variety of those experiences and of those stories and really leaned into the intersectionality here. So like, what is it like to be a person of color with a disability? Or what is it like to be a person with an invisible disability? And I I think this is a great read, especially, it's always a great read, but I'm going to say, especially for right now, as like vaccine rollouts and and things like this are, are bringing up a lot of questions about how our American healthcare system treats people with disabilities. So I I thought this was great. This is another one that was great on audio, but I do kind of wish I had it on my shelf. So so maybe I'll get it at some point. But that is Disability Visibility, edited by Alice Wong. Okay, my final book is Ilatsoe by Darcy Little Badger. And this is YA. I feel like it's been a while since I've read YA. I, I do recommend YA quite a bit on the podcast, but most of those come from my past teaching years yeah. rather than what I recently read. But this one I did really enjoy, and I'm glad that I picked it up. Elatsaway is a young Lipan Apache girl, and she has the power 
to raise the ghosts of dead animals. So she has this canine companion who passed away, but she gets to keep him around forever because she was able to raise his ghost. And he like follows her around everywhere. She can make him appear to other people and disappear. And part of why that's just sort of part of regular life is the setting of this book is America. Like it's set in Texas, but it's an America that has been shaped by magic and Mm. monsters and ghosts and different cultures and their systems of magic. So for instance, we have like the descendants of Oberon and just like these this interesting fairy magic. And then we have Alatsaway's very specific Lipan Apache magic. And that is the focus of this book is her culture. Her cousin has been murdered. She believes that he was murdered because he appeared to her in a dream, but her family is going to travel and investigate because the police have ruled it an accident, but she knows that there's something else going on. So this book is part YA fantasy and magic, part realistic story and folktale, and part mystery because there's this major mystery surrounding what happened to her cousin and they go to this town and something's off about the town. But it also sort of zooms out and is saying some really interesting things about the way that America has been shaped. This magic and the way that magic functions, um, you can tell is sort of this metaphor for colonization. And I just thought that it was so well done and the themes were woven throughout this book in such a smart way. I also really enjoyed reading Elatsaway's asexual representation I know several readers who are looking for books with great ace representation, and this one has been on a lot of lists. So if that's something that you're looking for, I highly recommend A Lats Away. And especially if you're looking for reading more Indigenous voices in the coming year, I really, really liked this one. And I don't think you need to enjoy YA in order to like it yourself. So A Lats Away by Darcy Little Badger. Stamp of approval. That sounds fantastic. Um, I think I want to pick that one up. I should have also mentioned that Anna Kay is YA, but it's like very grown up YA, like the kind that if I were to have given it to a student as a teacher, their parents might have contacted me, (laughs) (laughs) but it does have that kind of YA tone in in that sense. When I was reading Alatsway, I kind of thought it was middle grade. Partly because there are a lot of scenes where she's with her parents or where she's like asking her parents permission to do something or where her parents are like driving her somewhere. That's normal for teenagers. Yeah, that's such a good point. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was not middle grade. It was not that she was younger. It was just a like very real representation of teenagers who do not just have the go ahead to like bounce around town without talking to their families. I really (laughs) liked seeing her relationship, particularly with her mother on the page. It was really a special experience. Oh, that's so cool. That's such a good point about typical (laughs) YA. All right. My last book here that I want to share was I mentioned it in our anticipated spring releases, and I did get to read an early copy. So I wanted to circle back 
and tell you that I really loved Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. And I know Ishiguro fans, the first question you're going to have is, does it live up to Never Let Me Go? And I think the answer is no, but only in the sense that, I mean, for me, Never Let Me Go is a lifetime favorite book. It was the first book I read that kind of did what it was doing. And so nothing's going to live up to that. But I really think Clara in the Sun is fantastic. I think that it feels very much like a companion novel to Never Let Me Go. Clara in the Sun is about an artificial friend. And that whole like what an artificial friend is in the very Ishiguro way remains fairly vague. And you kind of have to piece that together throughout your reading. But he's using that to ask questions about what it means to be human. Are are these artificial friends human? Why or why not? And so in that sense, I just it feels like he's just still really interested in those never let me go questions. And he's giving us a new way to think about them. I think it is good to go into this pretty blind and just enjoy it because he really is the master at that slow reveal and that slow burn. But I just, I loved his writing in this, even for the first part of the book where we really are just with Clara in this store that sells artificial friends and not much happens. You do not want to stop reading. He just really, the way he uses her perspective is so special. So that one is out March 2nd. So you can pick it up a week after this episode drops. And I highly recommend doing that. Whether you've read Ishiguro before or not, this would also be a good entry point into his work. We read some great books, Sarah. We did. (laughs) And we are going to read some more great books over the next couple of months. So we want to share our spring lineup with you. This is also posted on our Instagram. It's in our newsletter. And of course, it'll be in our show notes here. So don't feel like you have to pause and find a pen and paper right now. We are so excited. The first book we are reading for our spring season is Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. And we are going to be doing this over two episodes. So on March 9th, we'll be discussing chapters 1 through 34. That's also through, if you have the edition that has volumes, which I know it's annoying that some do and some don't, If you have the edition with volumes, it's through volume two, chapter 11. And then on March 23rd, we'll be reading the rest of the book and discussing it then. So if you want to read along with us, we would love that. In March on Patreon, we will also be having a book club discussion of Pride and Prejudice and a class all about Austin. So we are just really doubling down on the Austin goodness in March. In April, we are reading Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin and Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Giovanni's Room will be on April 6th and Slaughterhouse-Five will be on April 20th. And then in May, we're reading In the Time of the Butterflies by Julia Alvarez and The Blue Castle by L.M. Montgomery. In the Time of the Butterflies episode will air on May 4th. And on May 18th, we'll be dropping our episode about the Blue Castle. We are also thrilled to tell you that our Patreon community will launch on March 1st, meaning not only will we get that class and the book club discussion on Pride and Prejudice, we'll also have bonus episodes and 
a bunch of other fun stuff behind the scenes <laughs> things and some voting and polls and ways to build community over there. So we can't wait to share our new content with you. And if you're excited about our Patreon, you can stay up to date on all of that, all of our podcast happenings by following us on Instagram at Novel Pairings Pod and subscribing to our weekly newsletter at novelpairings.substack.com. And we're hoping that you'll be excited to support the show on Patreon, but there are other ways to show Novel Pairings some love. So you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, like the sweet review that we shared today. You can share your favorite episode on social media, and you can also subscribe to Novel Pairings in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. Thank you to Michelle Timmons for her assistance and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, to prepare for Pride and Prejudice, we'll be back with an episode with five tips for reading Jane Austen. Until then, we declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.